Thomas Fielder. He's gone to the dogs. Welcome to the Gone to the Dogs podcast. This is your host, Steve Fielder, coming at you one more time. I really enjoy these podcasts because I get to visit usually with somebody that I've known for many years, but not always. Sometimes I get to meet new people on here. But the guy that uh, is on with me today is a guy that I've known since back in about 1997 when he and I met at Plot Days. Uh, He's been a guest on podcasts with me before And he's certainly not new to podcasting. He's been around on several different podcasts and mainly talking about his activities as a professional trainer. And that's none other than Virginia's plot man, walker man, black and tan (laughs) man, hound man, bear hunter, coon hunter, dog trainer, musky fisher, (laughs) Heath Hyatt. How you doing, Heath? I'm good, man. How's the I weather tell you, down there in Florida. Oh well, we as the weatherman in Bluefield, West Virginia, used to say every morning when he gave his report, he said, "And it's warm in Florida." So yeah, yeah uh, we had uh, 76 today. Beautiful sunny day. How about up your way? Well, Saturday night it was a whopping 12 degrees with the wind chill being awful. Yesterday it got up pretty good and today it's 63 and you're wearing a t-shirt so it's good old virginia weather (laughs) my grandmother used to say that's pneumonia weather yeah that's about right (laughs) yeah you you get a warm day and you think oh spring's here man throw Mm -hmm. away the sweaters and the coats and and all that but the thing that used to bug me about that was being a hunter and you and i know this very well in the mountains, you depend on the mast, you know, the nut crops and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And when the weather gets warm too early and everything buds out and all, and then that hard freeze hits, it kind of kills everything. And, and then if there's no feed, there's no uh, no animals, right? Yep, that's a fact. It's, it's done that. And you can watch on the mountain, you know, the buds will come out halfway up the mountain and then everything low will be no good. And the higher mountain will the higher places on the mountain will bud properly at the right time and you'll have food there and not low and, you know, vice versa. So yeah, you're right. It has a lot to do with it. Yeah. I guess if we were to do a course on hunting 101, the first thing we'd need besides gun safety, I guess, would be to teach people to find out where the food is. You know, that's the one thing that helped me down through the years in coon hunting, you know, is knowing where to go. Uh, because back home especially, you know, you couldn't uh, couldn't strike a coon if you weren't where he was feeding, you know. And I'm sure it's the same with the bear and all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's it both ways. And, um well, you the grew small up small creek bottoms mm-hmm. and farms and stuff. We used to hunt. They're turning them into subdivisions. I mean, the, some of the properties oh, yeah. that I hunted back, you know, when you and I were hunting, like I can't. They're full of houses now. You don't even have them. But that's a whole other podcast. Well, yeah, that's the coon hunter's lament for sure, and uh, I guess even can can evolve into a, a bear hunter's problem too, as people love those cabins up on those ridges with those beautiful vistas especially there in the blue ridge mountain area where you are 
and uh, that's, that's progress, they call it. But uh, now you live in the New River Valley, uh, and you do uh, have a unique job. Tell the listeners a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I do work at a local police department and been very blessed and, you know, honored to be able to, I mean, I'm 19 years into my career and I've been a canine handler for 17 of that. And I've been able to acquire some training status and, you know, I'm a master trainer with the state of Virginia. So that allows me to certify dogs for the state, uh, run schools for new handlers and, and their dogs, which, you know, they come through as a team. And in fact, this week, uh, today, I mean, this week today, actually this today week, when I come home, we're, we're actually putting on a tactical tracking class, which that implements our tact team members with the canine and shows them how, what their function, sh- their role should be when they're out on us with, with on high risk tracks and stuff. So that's, um, we're doing that this week. So that's a, that's a good class. And yeah, so I've, I've been very, very lucky, you know, to be able to, to acquire all this stuff as I've come up through the years and the, the, the work with the police department. Well, when you and I first met, um, let's say that you weren't real deep into your hound hunting experience at that point, were you? No. In fact, you know, when you and I met in Pomeroy, Ohio in 1997, still have that picture of me and you and your dad, I had had Brandy for one year. So (laughs) it's kind of funny that this circle's come around because for the you know the guys that don't know me what got me into hounds was bear hunting uh, we had a big lease and i was i was um dating a girl and her roommate her roommate's boyfriend had bear dogs and I, i'm an I've, I've been an avid hunter my whole life and fisherman and you know i grew up you, you know where i grew up i grew up in the mountains and the on what, we lived on a creek and you know that's where we spent all our time and one of my buddies had shot a bear and we couldn't find it. It got dark on us. So I called uh, my girlfriend's roommate and said, Hey, you think your boyfriend come over and track this bear? Long story short, he brought the dogs over. He had a, I mean, he had a truckload of plotting. And <laughs> when he come over, we didn't find the bear, but just the excitement and, and the dogs barking and just that whole, invi- that whole experience hooked me. I mean, I was hooked immediately. I bought two old dogs off him, and they one of them they were me two dogs. If your dog run a tree to coon, they'd run a tree to coon. If they run a bear, they'd run a bear. If your dog run a deer, they'd run a deer. They just did whatever everybody else was doing. Of course, I was new; I didn't know anything. But the one dog I had named Ace, which I bought from him, was a Weems bred dog, Butch and Butch and Jill, and I still have the papers on him. Mm-hmm. And that dog would absolutely, I won every swim race that I ever put him in. Yeah. Like the dog swam like a ga- alligator. Like you seen the top <laughs> of his eyes and the top of his nose. And he won a lot of swim races, a lot. But his downfall is when he got run down, he would lay down. And you, and back then we had, you know, we had the beep beep collars and I didn't, I didn't have the money to go buy a tracking system. So I had, had bought me an old Marshall beep beep collar and i was borrowing my buddy's tracking systems to be able to go find the dogs when i lost them Mm. and 
he would lay down and I'd have to go get him. It'd be three or four days later before I could find him and five days later. And that just got <laughs> to be old. So yeah. during that time I had bought, I had two of those dogs and the other dog that I bought was a young dog, about a year and a half. He ended up getting killed. Um, we was out coon hunting one night and he run down across the road and got hit by a car. Um, and my, one of my neighbors had found him and called me the next morning and told me that he had my dog and that he, you know, he was laying in the yard dead. And uh, that was just, you know, I, it was just one of them things that happened. And I, I knew nothing. I knew nothing about hunting except I was going out with an old flashlight, turning the dogs loose and running behind them as hard as I could to keep up with them. And <laughs> I, I, I was at a swim race over in Christiansburg and run into Dale Breeden. And I call him Pappy. And Pappy, he'd be kind of been my mentor through the years. He kind of took me under his wing. And I know if we talk about some of the dogs that I've had through my career, he's going to be involved in several of those dogs because he's pointed me in the right direction or yeah. told yeah. me where they were at, that that's something I should look at. But anyway, I ended up buying a, a, black, a six-month-old black and tan, Walker Cross, which was named Frosty, which you, you had, you know, you got to hunt with. Yeah, and sure. I ended up in in June. So this all this started in December when I run into my first dogs in December. And by June, I had bought a plot female. She was about a year and a half old, named Brandy. Um, she was out of Kenny Rourke stuff, old horse, and can't. I'd have to look at her papers. And Lady, I think, was the, the mom's name. But not a lot of not a lot of title dogs in her pedigree, but dogs that had had come down the line and had been nice dogs can i interrupt you here right real quick Absolutely. just to let our listeners know now dale breeding is a longtime friend of mine too because dale would come to michigan each fall with uh, another mutual friend of ours a couple guys actually lindell price and wendell bond and dale yeah. would come up and coon hunt with me in the fall so dale and i have been buddies for many, many years. Uh, Dale, I talked to him the other day. He said he wasn't hunting much. His wife's health has not been good. But Dale was a real coon hunter and has had some really, really good dogs uh, down through the years. And then you mentioned Kenny Rourke. Kenny Rourke lives over around Tazewell, Virginia, where my brother lives, and where just this week I'm going to be driving from Florida up to Virginia to celebrate my mother's 100th birthday there in Tazewell. But Kenny is a guy that my brother Randy coon hunted quite a bit with there a few years ago. I don't know. I know Kenny is still coon hunting. Uh, my brother, not so much. But anyway, I just wanted to interject there uh, who those two guys were. Uh, but go ahead, Heath. Yeah, so I bought this female named Brandy, and I mean, I won't go through all the details there, but it was a learning lesson for me. Um, and I hunted her for one year. So I got her in June and it was in July, if I'm correct, that we were at plot days in Pomeroy. Probably first weekend in August. August. Yeah. It was, mm -hmm. it was hot. It right. Was hot. Oh yeah. And I had put her in several casts, a lot of casts and never one. You know, I, I listen to some of these other podcasts and they talk about, you know, people, you know, not having problems and cheating and stuff. Looking back on it now, 
I got taken advantage of so many times. And yes, you could say it's because I didn't know the rules or didn't know what I was doing or whatever. But when you get into hunting like that and you're young and you want to learn, you know, it's, it's so much easier. Somebody takes you and shows you the ropes and the ways. And that's what Dale Breeden did with me as I was going through my um, career or starting my career with hounds. And it took me a year. I had not won a cast with that dog ever. I went to plot that didn't even know what plot days was. Mop Thorn, if you guys, you know, Gene, Gene Thorn and Mop Head. Um, <laughs> Mop Head. Oh, yeah. Man, he's such a good guy. Oh, and he yeah. is so funny and full of it at the same time. Oh, yeah. But, One of a um, kind. <laughs> yeah. Gene Lambert and Mop and him had talked me into going to this thing called Plot Days. You know, I'm like, okay, I'll go. So, but Mop said he was going to go up on Tuesday and hunt a couple nights and they was going to go to this, this hunt called Plot Day. So that's all I knew. I knew it was in Pomeroy. It was about three and a half hours from the house. So I took a week off work, and I went up with them on Tuesday. And there was a guy there at the local club, and I do not remember his name. He was a young kid about my age and at the time. And we hunted every night. And we had really good hunt, had a good time, showed me a lot of coons. And then on Thursday night, is the all plot hunt. Like now I'm learning, I'm telling you stuff that I know now, but then I didn't have a clue. It was all plot hunt. So only, you know, only plot dogs can hunt in it. And I drew Gary Cox and he was hunting old Jack and Brandy got in there. Brandy's forte was creating layup coons. When I won casts, the majority of the time it was because she'd get off by herself, tree a layup coon and the other dogs didn't know it was there. That was the majority of my wins was because of that that she was so good at it and so i drew gary cox and the, i think we we split the first tune brandy went in and treated a layup and jack went in and treated and moved and come to brandy and that, that's how i ended up winning that cast that was all plot hunt well then friday night i drew out with uh one of the lonnie brandenberger one of the brandenberger mm-hmm. guys he was hunting a dog named Stinger. And to this day, that dog that he was hunting had the best mouth of any plot dog I've ever heard. He had a horn that you could hear for miles. Just, mm-hmm. I mean, a beautiful voice, big old long legged. I mean, just what, for me, what a hound should look like. Big old long legged dog, had good color to him, good dark eyes, you know, a good boxy head, good hanging ear. Um, just a really nice looking dog. Well, I drew him and I don't remember how that cast come about, but I ended up winning that cast somehow. Uh, and I have not won a cast up to this point. I've had, I've had Brandy a year. I bought her in June. This is next July or August. And <clears throat> I had not won a cast. I'd won two casts. So Saturday night, I'm sitting out on the picnic table there at, um, the fairgrounds. And you and I had talked because you had set me up with, Harold Kirkus with the Perina rep and I was I'd talked to him and I was sitting on a picnic table and I don't remember if it was Denny or Scott Long but one of them got one of them come over to me and was standing there and was talking to me and asked me about my female and I was telling them you know this this and this they're like man you win your cast not you win this whole hunt and I'm like okay what does that mean they're like you win Isaiah Kid or you win the whole hunt at this point I still didn't know what this meant <laughs> and when they told me that, 
it gave me butterflies. It made me so nervous, like so nervous. <laughs> so we drew out, we drew out that night, and I drew Wayne Steele, and he was hunting Star Four. You mean Wayne out, Allen? Wayne Allen, yeah, yeah, yep, Wayne yep. Allen. And we was hunting Star, and we drew out with a guy by the name of Rick, and he had a Walker dog. And I don't remember there was a four dog cast, but I don't remember the the fourth dog. But we went up into this farm field, and we turn loose, and the dogs shoot down this logging road, and I literally, as soon as Brandy made a peep, I struck and treed her, and that was nothing but nerves, and I mean nothing but nerves. <laughs> and Wayne turned around, looked at me, and he said, "He said, Feller, he said, I don't think I've ever heard a guy strike and tree their dogs so fast." <laughs> well, about that time, all the dogs blowed up, and and they all called them treed. But I think I had them shut out because I struck and treed first. So we they treed the dogs. We walked down this logging road. And, I mean, two things here. Brandy covered my mistake. And just so happens that we were close enough to this incident or we would, we, I, I would have been 225 in the hole. But the coon was on a grapevine. And the grapevine was crossing the road from one tree to another. And as soon as we got down there, the coon bailed out. Everybody seen it. And we were able to catch our dogs and score that coon. <laughs> if we had not have been so close to that, right. we would have, that we would, that would have been a, a complete disaster, but it was luck. I had no clue what I was doing. I had been schooled in these hunts for a year. I had never won a cast and how I won three nights in a row it was nothing but a miracle and I, it was nothing but being in the right place at the right time and a dog carrying me because I, I was still green. So that's how I come to win plot days. I won my cast three nights and got lucky because I really shouted out something on the last night that I shouldn't have shouted out. <laughs> and, you know, there's kind of where things started with, with her. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was having my own fun on that weekend, and it started out on Thursday night when my dad and I, we brought two hounds up to, to Pomeroy, Ohio, there on the Ohio River, uh, in the kind of general area of Point Pleasant, uh, West Virginia. It's kind of up the river there ways. Um, but dad and I, um, dad wanted to hunt in the veterans hunt or the, uh, uh, for the guys that were, I don't know whether it was 65 and over or 55, but anyway, MPHA had a veterans cast. And I remember some of the people that were on that cast with him. Uh, one was, uh, the gentleman from Pennsylvania, uh, Greenlee or Greenway or something like that. Another was Howard Chester from, um, uh, Georgia, and the other one was a fellow we called Moke Anderson, Anderson from Virginia, and uh, uh, Oscar Smith from the Pomeroy Club. The reason I'm naming these names is these people have have all gone on now, and uh, you know. But anyway, Dad came in winning his cast. Well, I was hunting with a dog called Wrangler, and I was hunting. Wrangler's half brother, a dog named Roper, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But uh, 
for the part that you played with Roper. But anyway, uh, when we got back in, we had both won our cast, but Dad had more plus points than I did. So I said, well, we need to pick one of these dogs that we're going to hunt because Dad wasn't going to hunt anymore. Uh, he was already, uh, I guess, uh, well, in 97. He was 77 years old. So he was born in 1920. So anyway, we he decided, or we decided we'd hunt Wrangler. Long story short was that I won two, two casts out of three. I didn't win three casts like you did. But I won two casts out of three and had enough points to be the opposite sex winner. And that's how you and I met that morning at the motel. Uh, I think I asked you, did you want to get a picture taken with all your trophies? And I had a bunch of them too. Yours was taller than mine. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. anyway, that's that's kind of how we met. But uh, yeah, that was a good way to get started with Brandy. But then it didn't stop there, did it? No, I. So she was just a night. That was her first night champion win, actually. Um, yeah, that was her first night champion win on Friday night, and and Saturday night. I'm not sure if I got an. I think back then you had to be the top place in night champion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know I wasn't. So yeah, but I I went on to run the Perina points with her. And she ended up being the high scoring pot dog the next year uh, for for the Pot Am Association. And you know she got put on the card, the membership card with the high scoring points and stuff. And I, I won a lot of hunts with her, a lot. And I mean, I went to the the blue tick hunt up in it was, it was in Ashland, Ohio, with intentions of hunting a blue female that I had named Belle. But Belle come in heat, and I had taken Brandy, and ended up went in my cast there two nights and ended up overall high scoring plot there. I, I won a couple sectionals with her. I mean, she was, she was a really nice dog. And like I said, the layups were always the separating point. You know, the dogs back then weren't like they were now. I mean, you needed to get, get some points regardless. You know, all these dogs that are, you know, singled out and getting treed by themselves and stuff, that, that didn't happen a whole lot. Yep. You may get split treed here and there, but you, you needed to cover and you needed to get as many points as you could on that card to, to win. Um, right. And it took me a long time to grant her out. Um, I can't tell you how many casts I did win before she did grand, and it, it took forever. Um, yeah, because back then you had to be the top night High champion scoring. on that yeah. given night to get mm-hmm. that win toward grand. Whereas yeah. now all you have to do is, as we said, when I was with AKC, beat the dogs you draw. That's all. So it's yeah. the game has definitely changed in that way. And some of these old grand night championships, you look back over history, you know, they got there by beating a whole bunch of dogs. You know, today you might beat. Two, three, sometimes you hunt by yourself, I guess. And and it wasn't like that in those days. So, well, I I hunted with Brandy several times, and she wasn't any slap. I can remember one hunt that we took on. I'm not going to name names and all that, but I remember a track that we had, and, and, and 
when that tra- track was kind of cold and, and it went down a co- uh, 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 creek bed there. And when it got to kind of around a pond there, it kind of picked up and all. But, uh, you know, I was listening for my dog, and I'm sure everybody else was listening for theirs. But it was Brandy that snatched that tree first, and I'll always remember that. She didn't get the tree, but she she definitely was the one to grab it. And uh, so anyway, it, you know, Brandy was a nice hound. She really was. And uh, we did ended up ended up that we did raise a litter of puppies out of her, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. We took your roper dog, which, you know, I, me and – me and somebody had a conversation the other day about, you know, the plot breed in general. And I haven't hunted with a plot dog in a, in a while other than right. big game hunting. So I can't, I can't say, but I would really like, I mean, Roper was such a nice, I mean, Roper, Roper was a Walker style plot. Mm-hmm. Like he was fast. He was quick off the strike. I mean, when he come treed, he was treed. I mean, he. I mean, he was just a super nice dog. I mean, Brandy. You know, looking back now, she was never straight, but it was a learning process for me. She wasn't bad, trashy, but there would be times that she would be running something, and you know, she would switch over and get treated. I, I get that now. Then I really didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but um, yeah. I mean, I'd love to have a dog like one of them too. You know, your old. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, Wrangler. I mean, I had him here at the house and hunted him. You know, those dogs were super nice dogs, and well, I had they a were the super c- nice pup out of out of Brandy and Roper. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. that little candy female that I had, I ought to have my butt kicked for selling her. Yeah, she and, was that beautiful, was, beautiful hound, beautiful, too. and she was a nice dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we're all high on our own dogs, but you know, I've been around a lot of years and. I can just say, you know, and I never, ever wanted to be a person that got around the crowd or whatever and just tried to blow my dogs. I did recently do a podcast. It was rated really high. In fact, uh, it moved up to number nine out of all the uh, DU uh, hunting supply podcasts that have been done now, which is, I think, about 140-some. But anyway, in uh, numbers of downloads, as people uh, uh, you know, listen to the story of my dad and I's attempt at breeding uh, a line of plot dogs, and uh, but it those were the kind of dogs we liked, and they were the kind of dogs that were winning in that day. Now, tell me a little bit about. Do you remember much about the RQE that you won with Roper down there in uh, at Ballard? Yeah, yeah. So it's funny. Okay, so during this time period with Brandy. Um, Pappy Dale had taken his candy female, his Grand Night Champion Walker female, and bred her to Sackett Junior. So I had a pup, which I his name we called him his on papers his name was Rock, but we called him Pooh, and he got his name because we raised him in the garage, and the dog pooped everywhere all the time. So he just got a nickname called Pooh. But I had that dog, and he had a brother named Rebel. And Rebel was owned by Melvin Dalton, and then Randy Jack Blankenship bought him, and then Randy Jack sold him to somebody up in West Virginia. But Rebel was a really nice dog. That whole litter was not they, that whole litter either granded out or night champion or granded. Uh, very nice dogs. But I ended up drawing 
Melvin with Rebel, and I can't remember who else was in the cast. But where, the area where I live and here in Southwest Virginia, it, if you have two cast, the two coons in a cast, that's really good, mm-hmm. like really good. I mean, you're, that's four fifty if you load up on first and first on both of them. And anyway, that night we had went back behind my dad's, and there's a big farm back there, and. I think we seen four or five coons. We had some split and whatever, but Roper ended up with like 587 and a half or something. It, it, anyway, it was what, it was almost 600 points. And Roper just, I mean, he done good. I mean, he done good that night. I mean, he was getting first <laughs> and first most of the time and then covering all the other ones that he didn't. He didn't. So, but yeah, I ended up winning the whole RQE, which with that many points at, in this area is unheard of i'll just tell you but it was uh early in the spring um like we talked about the food source was good i had um i had stocked some coons back in 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 there on my dad's because you know because i needed coons to win so i had i had stocked a few coons in there and we were just lucky enough to see a couple of a couple more than everybody else and yeah robert 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 done good i mean Mm -hmm. like i said he was he was getting his share first and first, and like I said, I think he covered on the, the third one, and that's why we ended up having so many points. Well, I think that's what we used to say back in that day, you know, before the deep and lonely dogs or the ambush-style dogs, that, you know, get a little bit of everything, and then if you can, get one to yourself. You know, that was yeah. kind and of the, the winning uh, combination, you know. And don't make mistakes, you know, don't, yeah, not exactly. making the mistakes and getting those minuses. Exactly. But, yeah. And I don't think, I don't think he had any that night. Like I said, he, I think it was all pluses for him. Oh yeah. And he, he looked good. I mean, he, he looked really good that night. Well, he was a dog that I really enjoyed and it was kind of a sad story, you know, because he only lived to be seven years old and, uh, you know, he, he had uh, complete kidney failure. And, uh, I had let Steve Taylor down in, uh, Kentucky hunt him a little bit. And, uh, also the Wrangler dog that I had and, uh, some of the PKC hunters back in that day, uh, they liked Roper better because like you said, what you alluded to, he was that quick strike dog and he had the speed and (laughs) he was one of the fastest dogs on four legs I ever saw. I mean, uh, one night, one night we were hunting in Michigan, and uh, Dale Breeden, I think, was along, and Lindell and uh, and and Wendell, and we struck a track in a cornfield, and it made a big loop back in that cornfield, and it, when it came around, when they kind of turned the corner <laughs> for the final lap, old Roper. Now he was smoking some Walker dogs, I gotta tell you, <laughs> and that coon came out of that cornfield and almost went up bond's leg you know and uh and uh, and we could hear him scratch and bark right there in the fence row we were standing along a fence row that separated two cornfields and you could hear that coon going up that tree and boy they all come in there right in our lap practically in tree but all just good times you know and i wrote a chapter in my book called the deader the better and we tend to think about these old dogs, you know, and, and they get better mm-hmm. every time we tell the story about them. But I did enjoy Roper. He, he was a fun guy uh, to yeah. hunt and uh, and all that. Yeah. 
The only downfall he had here, and I know you and I have discussed it several times, is that sucker didn't come back. And in these <laughs> mountains, that, that's a little tiresome some nights. <laughs> you know, taking oh, yeah. him up to, to the base of a cliff at, you know, 4,200, 4,400 feet up. I mean, it's a little difficult, but yeah, he he didn't have no backup in him, that's for sure. I remember one time we were there at your dad's on Wolf Creek, and you pointed back up on the ridge way back up there on oh. top, and you said, you see that point or that whatever up there? He said, that's where I had to go get rope. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a big cliff, there's a big ledge in there, yeah. Oh, sure man. Enough. Well, those were good yeah. times that we shared uh Heath, and of course, a lot of that I was working, uh, you know, with the uh, the registries and all, and couldn't really hunt the dogs. That's been my problem all down through the years. People say, "Well, you got a great job, Stephen." I did. I'm no complaints, but I didn't get to hunt my own dogs as much as I would like to. Um, talk about that poo dog. You did, you did some a lot of winning with him. Yeah, um, you know. I- Again, I'm still new. I mean, I'm still green at this. I'd had Brandy for, and Brandy, I bred Brandy to Outlaw, and I had a really good litter of pups out of her, and then I bred her to to Roper, had a good look, really good litter of pups out of her. I bred her like three times, and I don't, I don't have Coonham bloodlines anymore. I don't know how they do the rankings on, you know, most, you know, productive females or whatever, but at one time she was the number one reproducer. And I know that's long gone now, but um, she produced really good. And so I ended up getting a pup off of, of Pappy and, uh, you know, Pooh. And the dog was four months old. And we had been out one night and killed, killed a couple of coons. And I had. Well, let's had back dog. up just a minute to restate. Now, this Pooh dog was out of Sackett Jr., right? Yeah, he was directly out of Sackett Jr. And. Um, Dale Breed. Pine Creek Candy. That's yeah. right. Yep. So and she okay. was a Casey bred female, which is down in North Carolina. And I mean, Candy was a nice female too. I mean, she she drive a track, take it as it comes, and drive them. But so I, there was five dogs in that litter, and I'm pretty sure all five of them night championed, and three of them granded out. That's, that's I'm pretty strong. sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were really good. But uh, so I ended up with Pooh, and I'd been out one night hunting and. Brought, had a couple coons and I'd hang, I hung one up in a tree there in, in the barn lot, which is where I kept my dogs, um, at my dad's and Pooh just run loose. I mean, he was, you know, he, he'd run loose at the house and he stayed in the garage at nighttime. And then the daytime he was out and when I'd go to feed, he'd go with me and, you know, he just, you know, just kind of hung out. Well, he was four months old. I still have, I have, I have the picture still. And I'd went up to feed and that dog, climbed up on that tree and sat on his hind end and just started trying. And I'm like, man, he's four months old. And I'm just, you know, natural. He was a natural. And anyway, that I was catching coons with him by himself, hunting him by himself between eight and ten months old. And I like said, listening at it now, I mean guys are doing this all the time. You know, back then that wasn't heard of at, as much or not mm-hmm. where I was from or I had heard. And I was catching coons with him and I had taken him down on the river one night and he was 10 months old. And I got to the point where I'd take brand, I'd take three, whatever I was hunting, I'd take them and I'd drop one dog, make a tree, 
go back to the truck, get another dog, turn it loose, make a tree, and so on and so forth. And I had taken him that night down on the river by himself, and I'd treed two or three coons down on the river. And I was just walking down the river in these big flats and open timber, and then it'd be around some ledges. And when I got to the third tree, and he had he had it, and I sat down there, and I just, I told myself at that point I was going to win the world hunt with a dog. <laughs> Which, of course, that never happened. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, well, I, and I can tell you what happened with him. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I night championed him out really quick. And even, the, I mean, you know, I, I would have liked him to have been a little more accurate, but he was still 80% accurate. Mm. He didn't give a lot of mouth on the ground. And right. what's so funny about him is if I was out pleasure hunting him, he opened just like every other dog. You put him in a competition, when he opened one or two times, you better have your gun cocked because he was getting ready to come treed. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why he was like that. I don't know if it was just the competition part of him or whatever. But when he come treed, he was treed, and he didn't care what was going on around him. He didn't care if dogs were running. He didn't care if they were treed over beside him. He didn't matter. But he was a stay-put, hard tree dog. Night championed him out. And I was, try- I was trying to count my slips the other day. I, had- I won 17 casts with him before I granted him. Wow. 17 and he granted <laughs> out at 18 months old mm. which i know that's all irrelevant i'm just kind of giving you a timeline it, you know that, that really doesn't matter but he granted out and he was two years old you know a little bit before two i won i think i won the west virginia state championship with him i won a couple you know uh, some some good hunts with him i just never did push him I qualified him for the world a time or two, and there's one of them times where I got you, you get hoodooed. I had a the one time we qualified with him, I got taken over to the national forest in another area, basically dropped turn loose, and you know the next morning we come out across the mountain on a road and had to call somebody to come pick us up. Just one of those incidents, and just never worked out with him. And then when he was four, we were at your place. And we caught a coon in a fence line in a autumn olive bush, and we shook it out. I know exactly what coon it was. And when I got home, that and that was in October. When I got home a couple weeks later, I went down to feed him, and he wouldn't come out of his box. And I ended up pulling him out, and he was paralyzed. I called the vet. She was like, Heath, he's got coonhound paralysis. And I'm like, what? So he ended up having coonhound paralysis. Um went through that whole gamut to get him back into health and he never really had the stamina and he his accuracy dropped to half after that so we just pleasure hunted him i i let some guys borrow him to train some pups with and ended up he ended up having thyroid issues mm-hmm. after that and he passed away at seven kind of the same thing like roper yeah so we just it was just unfortunate with that. You know, he but, was a really nice dog and uh 
I enjoyed hunting with him. And yeah, he he was, I guess, the only the second dog that I hunted with down through the years out of Sackett Jr. that was a little tight on the ground. The other one mm-hmm. that I hunted with was a dog called Prime Star out of Texas. I hunted with him one night in a uh, at the uh, PKC World Hunt. And uh, he was pretty much, you know, uh, tree him on his locate or strike him on his locate tree, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. And most, uh, you know, I hunted with several dogs out of Sackett Jr. Hunted with Sackett Jr. himself. Hunted with the old Sackett dog uh, that sired him, and they were all open trailing dogs. You know, so it's kind of unusual. I don't think it it can always be linked to genetics on that it just uh, seems like it can sometimes be the attitude of the dog i i bet he really liked to catch his game didn't he yeah i mean yeah he he did he run to catch yeah i mean he like he well he was wide open and you know like i said you take him out i could take him out in the middle in january and february and he would trail like mm-hmm. i never and i think it was just the competition like he knew and he you know, yeah. he wasn't, he wasn't going to be, be, you know, he had that mentality, you know, I'm not going, I'm going to be first. Right. Um, right. but yeah, I mean, he, he was in competitions. He was tight. I mean, he was tight. Like I said, he'd give you a couple barks and that, that was about it. He was going to be lighting it up. Well, we're going to switch gears here in just a minute. And we're going to start talking about some dogs that <clears throat> actually had, uh, I believe poo on the pedigree maybe. Uh, but, uh, before we do that, it's time. I promised my listeners that we would check in from time to time with Fred Moran, the Le- uh, Red Bone Man from over in the Western Hills of Pennsylvania. Fred is uh, in well into his 80s now, still hunting four or five nights a week. Had him on the podcast a while back, and uh, uh, people just really liked him. <laughs> He's got some great stories. So let's see if we can get a hold of Fred, and then we'll get back uh, to our discussion about these uh, uh, the, about these Hyatt dogs, and uh, we're going to talk about a little bigger game this time. Well, it's that time in the podcast that we visit with our friend Fred Moran over in the hills of Pennsylvania, as we say, Fred Moran, the Red Bone Man. Fred, I want you to talk to me today and tell me something about this dog you had named Hickory. I remember seeing his name in the in the uh, magazines several times. What can you tell us about old Hickory? Hickory was a dog I raised from a pup. He was out of magic and one of my females, and he made a pretty good dog, uh, but made like a dummy. I got greedy. A guy offered me some money for him, a little more than I thought he was worth at six, seven months old. But I should have kept him right straight through. I sold him, and all about four months later, this guy moved clear out west. And uh, I forget what town now. It could have been Arizona. It was a western town. I know that. And... uh, he offered him back to me at a reasonable price and uh, told me he's just as good as he was. He says maybe better. And uh, he said he had a little trouble with him on deer. Uh, I figured that ain't nothing to break a dog from, especially if you live out west where there's so many. 
I figured out I had him broken three nights. But I took a chance on bought the dog back. As far as a coon dog, he didn't need nothing but dropped out in the woods, that's all. He did it all himself, but he would run a deer, and he'd run a bed. I tried all my proven methods that I broke dogs for other people, but it didn't work on him. And I thought, sure it would. One night, in fact, Gary Hoffman, the guy we were just talking about, was with me. And Gary is, he's the best hunter I know of. He can't stand to get beat. He'll beat you no matter what way it is, and he'll do it legally. And well, he was with me, and the dog run a deer. I said, Gary, I've done everything. I says, uh, I beat him. I've, uh, well, for some reason or other, I said, he, he come across his power line, grab him. And uh, I said, you take the lower part, I'll take you up. He came my way, and I put a, I, I hate to say this, but I put a lump on him on his side. That's how bad. Maybe he finally come to and had a little brain. He never run another deer for me after that. That that did the trick for him. I could use him for a check dog from then on. He had a tremendous mouth. That's why I liked him so well. He uh, like a lot of guys, two loud mouths, the dog and Moran. But uh, <laughs> that dog, he was smart. After he got that beaten, he he just was a different dog. Never had no problem with him being shy. He could it listened good, not as good as the two I got now. But I put a lot of time in the two I got now. And the one, I think, is the smartest male dog I ever owned. And uh, I had one other close to him. But this one, uh, he is super smart. But... Getting back to Hickory, he treed coon and other four and five-year-olds couldn't even begin to tree. And he's only uh, right at a year old at that time. I started putting him in night hunts when he was less than a year old and winning with him. And I, the mouth is what was one. He was good all the way around, straight, right? Just one of them which you hope to be someday a natural. Oh, he was for me. Other than the deer episode, I'd call him treed in a night hunt, oh, maybe a mile away. And the guys say, let's see if we could hear our dog. Stop here and see if we, they couldn't get over. They said, man, has that dog got a mouth. And it, it definitely the male dog I got right now in him is the two best mouths of any dogs I ever had. I had one other Two others. One of them was named Magic also, but it wasn't out of the old Magic. Well, and, describe uh, Hickory for me, Fred. What kind? Of, what, what did he look like? How big a dog was he? He was about a 60-pound dog, right size, just the size I like. I don't like a big dog, although I got one now. Uh, I like a medium-sized dog, but he was medium-sized. He built good. All my dogs are quiet in a kennel. I won't put up with a dog to bark in a kennel under no service. He could win the world on three years in a row, and I'll sell him the next day if he if he's noisy in a kennel. And uh, well, I have was, a quick question for you about red bones. Okay, yeah. you hear this so much. The guy said, "I really like a red dog, but I just can't find one." You know, anywhere <laughs> and. 
I don't know. Uh, certainly, there's been a real um, influx of red bones being bred just for the pet market because of, you know, the popularity of where the red fern grows. And and then while I was at AKC, I was able, you know, that's why they hired me was to bring all these coonhound breeds into the AKC registry, uh-huh. and the red bones were one of those. So no doubt when they became eligible for the AKC confirmation rings and, you know, the dog shows, uh, they became more popular that way too because there's, I don't think many people will argue that the red bone is one of the most beautiful of all the hounds. Uh, They are. Yeah. But um, what about the guy out there that's listening and uh, would like, you know, uh, are are they harder to find today? than they used to be back when you started out? I I would say in certain areas they are. Now, Mississippi's a good state for red dogs. Uh, Georgia uh, is a good state. Mm -hmm. Kerry Rook's got enough to fill anybody's kettles down there. Uh, (laughs) He likes red dogs. uh, And he'll pay what a good one's worth. And... uh, uh, but you go certain areas, there's more red dogs than other breeds, I feel. Uh, and Pennsylvania's never been a, a well, it has. Remember this Jungle Jim came from Pennsylvania originally, and uh, we had guys like uh, you might not even remember this, and I know yours uh, in the old age brute with me. Did you ever hear of a guy named Harry Masser? I don't believe so, Fred. That doesn't he ring a bell. He lived out in eastern Pennsylvania, okay. southeast Pennsylvania, York County. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he was a strong man with red bones. Had had some good ones. He had a pup out of uh, Jungle Jim, the only one I knew of in Pennsylvania. He called him Red. I hunted with him in the night hunt. The first night hunt I ever run in, uh, no, wasn't the first. The first one I start really competing in, uh, in a stronger point, you know, I'd go, if there's one 200 mile, I'd jump in a truck and drive. Well, I met Harry out there, and he had uh, one he called Red, which is out of Jungle Jim. I drew the other one. He had, uh, I can't think his name. He was a nice dog. I got lucky and beat him, but I had a female at the time that was hard to beat. I mean, She's the best female I ever owned. Uh, I called her Melody Sue. You, uh, uh, she won second at the first automoke they ever had in the night champion cast. Drum won first. She won second. And a Pennsylvania dog won third, a blue tick. Uh, a guy was an insurance salesman. He lived 35 miles from me. He don't hunt anymore. And, uh, well, Fred, we need to take this subject up because it's going to be a long one, and we need to take it up in an, in another episode about uh, the Red Dogs and the question that I'll have for you for that episode will be, uh, you know, what are the main differences that you see in the Red Dogs and the, the ever-popular Walker Dogs that are out there on the circuit today? But just put that one uh on the back burner and be thinking about it and we'll catch up with you in the next episode how's that okay 
Okay. All right. Well, thanks for checking in with us again, Fred. We always enjoy having you on the All Dog right. to the Dogs podcast and look forward to talking to you again. Catch you in the woods. <laughs> All right. Okay, Steve, thanks. Good night, JJ. <laughs> All right, the great Fred Moran, the Red Bone Man. Always good to check in with Fred. Okay, Heath, uh, I promised uh, the listeners there that we would talk, start uh, switch gears just a little bit. Did we talk pretty much about, well, as a segue into this, let's talk about the fact that uh, you kind of veered away from the coon hunting a bit, and over the last few years, and I think of kind of, we've kind of got some plans to kind of get you back <laughs> on track, so to speak. But uh, was Pooh the last um, of your coon dogs that you competition hunted? Oh, let's see here. I had him. I think I had a couple other dogs that I'd hunted. You know, just never really got excited about it. So, why why things changed? It, okay, so '97 was when I was hunting Brandy. Um, Pooh was born in '97, and then up till 2003. So you got eight, nine. You, you know, you got about five or six years there, mm-hmm. and I was hitting it pretty hard during that time. So in 2003 is when I actually got into police work. So mm-hmm. early on in 2003, I started the police academy, which basically took all my time up. So for that six months, I didn't do a whole lot of hunting. Uh, I took the dogs that I had, maybe on a weekend, I'd take them out. But as far as hunting five and six nights a week like I was going, that, that wasn't an option. I just couldn't do it. And then I was driving to the department that I worked for back and forth. It was about 58 miles from my house to work so my 12-hour days turned into 14-hour days so it just changed my mindset a little bit and I started uh, I, I had been bear hunting I told you I had bought a black and tan half black and tan half walker off of um, Lance Hutton uh, old dog named Frosty and it just seemed like at that point in my life that hunting during the daytime because I was working night shift and, you know, I'm trying to raise a family and, and working, working 14, 15 nights a month and then, you know, then coon hunting and being gone the other four, 13 nights or 12 nights or whatever it was that you had available, it just wasn't working out. So sure. that's when I kind of took the time and, and or took the turn and started like, okay, you know, bear hunting's during the daytime. You know, I can exert more energy into that. It doesn't cause a lot of problems within, you know, the family. So that's kind of what happened, and that's what took place there. And that was around from 2003 to 2005 is when that all started turning. So during that two-year period, I kind of, you know, I kind of went away from the the night hunting, kept the hounds, and turned it into the daytime thing. Well, I got you, and uh, that's happened so often you know, with younger people, especially uh, that are raising families and all, you know, you, and those, the family should come first. And that's a mistake that a lot of hounds people make. And, and without being too hard on them, you know, when you got those young hounds out there in the kennel, you know, you're really, uh, you, there's a real guilt trip that comes along 
with that, the fact that they're not getting hunted as much as they should. But then, of course, you know that you want to take care of the activities with your kids and when they get into ball and all these other things. Uh, But uh, I'm sure that pretty much happens to everybody. But you're fortunate enough to live in a part of the country where you could make that switch, you know, from. But I'll bet that when you switched over to hunting bear more than coon, you didn't have the bear population back then that you do now, did you? No, and and I like I said, the whole reason that got me into hounds was bear hunting. I mean, I, my first two dogs that I purchased were supposed to be bear dogs. So that was back in ninety four, ninety five, and I got I got Frosty one in ninety six. Yeah, so Frosty was eight. Yeah, ninety six, and. Yeah, I, I mean, I I made that switch, but back when I started hunting in the in the mid nineties, if you caught five five six bear a year, you had good dogs. Like we catching five and six bear in two and three days now, which you know <laughs> if if the bears pop, you know if if the food's right and everything else. I mean, and yeah, yeah things have changed tremendously over the last twenty five six seven years, whatever it's been. Um, dogs are different style of dogs, different, you, you're using, you know, a lot of people don't want to coat cold nose dog now because they don't need it. Mm-hmm. So. Well, one thing I noticed about you way back, and then I think it carried right on into the bear hunting phase is that you, you hunted quite a bit by yourself, but uh, what I was going to say is you've always been that kind of driven hunter. Uh, I'm reminded of Randy Smith up in Pennsylvania with the amount of energy that he puts into anything that he does. And I've always seen you to be that way too, Heath. I know that, you know, you take it seriously, and I think that's what's made you uh, a success in your career field is that, you know, you really go after it, you do the homework, you put the time in, uh, and you want it done right. And I saw that early on. With your dogs, you were demanding of of your dogs, not to the point that you abused your dogs. I never saw you do do that, but at the same time, uh, I can remember way back when. Uh, well, where's uh, you talked to Heath, Pappy? Uh, yeah, he's bear hunting. Well, who's he hunting with? Well, he's hunting a lot by himself. I think. Didn't you hunt quite a bit by yourself? Yeah, I I, I went for years and hunted I, the. The big groups, you know, there's always a bunch of drama and, you know, who's doing this and who's doing that. I mean, if you if you bear hunt, you know what I'm talking about. And I just, I didn't care for it. And, you know, if you're going to have good dogs, you've got to get out and separate them and do, do it yourself. I'm not saying you got to do it all the time, but, yeah, I just broke away and I had some decent dogs. I mean, I had, you know, Frosty and I had a little blue female named Belle, a little Cameron female and Clyde. And, you know, I had some dogs that was catching bear. And then, you know, I ended up getting ring. And when I, Frosty ended up having lymphoma and he died at eight. I'd come back from Canada that year and Frosty wasn't right in Canada. And we couldn't figure out what was going on. And I ended up, he ended up with lymphoma. And through, through Pappy, Pappy had told me, he said, hey, you know, Hutton's got a nice young dog that he's probably going to get rid of. And he says, you really need to, you know, get try to get your hands on it. Well, I knew Frosty was sick, 
I didn't know how long he was going to live. So I just went and purchased a dog without knowing any other than what Pappy had told me, which who I trust. Um, dog was a handful. Holy cow. Well, let's I mean, stop real quick here and just lay a little bit of background on uh, Frosty and and his litter mate, which was the sire of this dog that you're talking about. We talk about Lance Hutt. Lance oh, yeah. is, was like the bear hunting guru of that part of the world, was he not? Lance always carried dogs that caught game. Yes. Yeah. Right. A very interesting guy. <laughs> a guy, <laughs> he's funny. Yeah. He's eccentric to, uh, to a degree. Uh, just a great guy to be around. I enjoy hunting. One, the last time I went hunting with Dale Breeding, I went by Dale's and we went up to Lance's and took a coon hunt. Uh, Lance unfortunately had an accident and lost uh, one of his hands, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but uh, but Lance has just been, uh, and there's a, there was a time when Lance was known to be the man to catch a bear if you needed one caught, and yeah. and we I wrote about him in uh, in uh, Bear Hunting Magazine about a dog that he had named Homer. Um, uh, and Homer was a, a crossbred dog. Uh, what do you remember about Homer? You know, since, since my time with hounds, Homer has been the best. And when I say best all around bear hound that I've ever been in the woods with, that's probably an understatement. Uh, the dog had a nose that was unbelievable and, he could use that nose. That dog could trail up a track that you just think there is no way we're going to ever see this bear. And like I said, this was back when it was, he was catching four or five a year. Um, he had a horn on him like no other. He had too much grit. I mean, I can't tell you the times that dog's been stapled and sewed up and glued up and everything else. Uh, he was just, in, I mean, he, he was just one of those once in a lifetime dogs that any bear hunter would be proud to, to haul in their box. He was a superb, superb animal. Well, now, Homer, go ahead. No, but I, I uh, remember Lance telling the story that I guess it's about the first time he went bear hunting and went up to Maine, didn't he? And, and uh, with a couple of, coon dog or a couple of walker dogs or something do you remember that story about how homer came about he told I me don't. he told me that mm-hmm. he'd gone up there and and i don't know if there was a purebred tree and walker was his sire named spot, yep, spot. and mm-hmm. we were talking about that earlier uh, what was the background on spot you you know that i did yeah so spot was a registered walker dog um that lance coon hunted and Spot was a, uh, he was out of Rock River Ring 2, which mm-hmm. Rock River Ring 2 was out of Rock River Ring. Mm-hmm. And then Rock River Ring went back to Merchant's. Um, Ball and Barney, I ba- think. Ball and Barney, that's right. Um, now, Spot's mother was a dog that was called Hutton's Genie. She was a night champion female. And she was pretty much a a single registered female up through the through the times, but now Spot's mama was a granddaughter of merchants of the Ball and Barney. 
So spot was doubled up. And if you listen to your podcast, you know, when you, when you talk about James Merchant and, um, John Monroe and those guys, they really talked about that doubling up and, and stuff. And that dog, that spot dog was exactly what they talked about in that podcast. I got you. Well, as the story goes that I recall, and I did write about this and I could go back and look at the manuscript, but, uh, Lance wanted to breed Spot, but he couldn't find a walker dog to breed to in that part of the country. Do you know anything about that story? Well, I think that they, at the time, they were trying to produce a bear dog. Right. It was The, the breeding was going to be specifically for a bear hound. So right. I, I do remember that much of what was taking place. And he ended up finding, a Willie Davis had a black, a screaming eagle female that was supposed to look supposedly a super nice female. The way I understand it is Spot was already a superb trail dog. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm not sure what caught Lance's fancy about putting, breeding the, the black and tan female back to Spot. But anyway, they made that cross and Lance ended up keeping two of those dogs, Homer, and he had another dog named Rattler. And Rattler was a high tan looking dog. Homer looked like a purebred black and tan. You would never know that he was half Walker. Yeah. Yeah. And then so Homer, of course, makes this reputation as being, in your words, and I know you've hunted with a lot of bear dogs all over the country, uh, mm-hmm. the best that you ever saw. Um, and we get, we got a, we got a place that we're going with this. So anyway, who owned the kitty female that was bred to Homer, the Walker female? So I ended up with her in in the end. Um, a guy from Newcastle had her. And we were hunting one day, and kitty, which again, this is back in my early years where I really, I, I mean, learning, uh, learning the ropes, learning what's going on. He got mad at her one day in the woods and was going to call her. And I said, no, 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 I'll take her. He took his collar off over right there, and I put my lead around her and took her on. So Kitty was a registered female, a big old, I mean, she looked like a male dog, like big, long-legged, big, houndy head. She wouldn't stay on a bear on the ground. That was the issue with her. But if it run and treed, she looked like a million dollars every time. But if that bear stopped on the ground and got a little rough, she would literally be back at the truck. And the guy that owned her did not like that at all. His name was Dean. I just can't remember his last name. Do so you we, remember her breeding? Do Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she's, um, she, in her third generation, her on the top side, her dad was out of um, the Family River Nighthawk, which was the world okay. champion. So and then champion. on the bottom yeah. side, yeah. Yeah. On the bottom side, she was out of um, Leo Nestor stuff. Yeah, Leo so, was a hunter there from around Pulaski, Virginia, that always uh-huh. had some outstanding-looking dogs. I never actually hunted with Leo and don't know how, how much he actually hunted, but he sure had some beautiful walker dogs. Back in the day when Leo would pull on the ground at the uh, at the uh, – Bench show, everybody knew it was going to be a tough, tough go. 
to show well, Kitty, and Kitty showed that. I mean, Kitty was a beautiful, big blanket back female, mm-hmm. nice red head, but she was over the breed standard. She was 27 inches at the top for a female. Wow. Yeah, that is a big female. Uh, right. Yeah. She was huge. And she put the size in. So Homer was bred to Kitty. Right. And they had they had four pups, Frosty and AR, and had two other dogs that went to Billy Patton, and I can't remember their them dogs' names, but there was four pups in that litter. I ended up with Frosty, and Frosty got his name because he had a big frost patch on his nose. He was a black and tan-looking dog with a white chest and a big patch of frost on his nose. AR looked like a big walker dog, big blanket back walker dog. And then the other two dogs, one was a ticked-up female, and the other one was a, a high tan-looking male that they had. So I ended up with Frosty at six months old and then Lance kept AR and they bred AR to a, a leopard bred female that was out of Newcastle. Um, Larry Looney owned it. And that's where ring come from. And that's and a dog I, that you were, uh, we were starting to talk about before I took you down yep. that rabbit path of, of the breeding, yeah. but I just wanted to establish, uh, the breeding of these dogs. And, and when you look at ring, uh, he actually was seven eighths tree and Walker mm-hmm. and, and yep. one eighth black and tan, which was that female, uh, out of screaming Eagle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and he yep. was a typical Walker looking dog, was he not? Yeah, yeah, he had some ticks in his front end, but I mean, you would you would have never known. I mean, he, you know, and his pups, man, he he throwed some of the beautiful looking Walker dogs you'd ever seen. Um, mm. The only time that I've got I got an off colored litter is I bred him back to a female that was out of Homer. Um, I bred him to Glenny Price's. Glenny Price had a dog named Maggie. And I bred Frosty and Maggie. So Frosty was out of Homer and Maggie was out of Homer. I bred them to each other. And I got a, I got a pretty much a black and tan, not quite black and tan looking, but more black and tan mm-hmm. than high tan. And I bred her. Her name was Racket. I bred her to Ring. And out of that litter, I had two high tans and three Walker colored dogs. Right. Um, well, you're getting a, a double dose of that that uh, yeah. black and tan there with mm-hmm. that cross right or well, let's yeah. talk about ring because he really became uh quite a story but he didn't start out that way did he oh no so ring come about because frosty was getting sick ring when i purchased ring he was 18 months old and i bought him from lance and i had never hunted a dog never turned him loose and the first time I ever turned him loose, I went to New York to hunt with a buddy of mine named Rodney Galusha. And I'd go up every summer and hunt with, with Rodney. And, you know, they can bait bear in New York, but, they you know, they can't kill them. They can just run them. It's just running season. So Rodney and I had went to this one area that he'd had, you know, we'd had a bait out. We went to it, and we turned ring loose. We're going to say, okay, what's, what are we going to do? We we turned the sucker loose, and he went in there, and, I mean, he struck. And he went left-handed, and by the time he got out of here, and we dumped four or five more dogs loose, and they struck, and they went right-handed, and they went out of here. Well, about that time, Ring comes back in here, and he literally follows 
the same path that those dogs left on. And me and Rodney's sitting there having a conversation, and we're like, okay, well, he just he must have went backwards, and now he's getting he's he's making himself right. So they go out of hearing. So we drive down this old you know snowmobile road, and we get in there. And we there's a huge rock in there at a cabin. So we got up on this rock, and again, we're using the beep beep collars. This is in 2004 is when this took place, and we can hear a ring in their tree. And I mean, Ring was a tree dog, had a big, big ball, ball on the track, and and he's come over to a good ball chop on the tree. And I know ball chop may not sound right, but just a ring and chop. And we, Rodney's like, well, the other dogs are showing treat on the tracker, you know. Then you had the beep beep calls, and they just dee 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 dee. They're all showing treat, and Rodney's like, you can't tell me that dog's drowning them dogs out. I'm like, Rodney, I don't know. So anyway, we walked in there to him. He was almost a mile in there. So we walked into him, and he's sitting in a poplar tree by himself. Bears in the tree, and we're like, we can't figure out what's going on. And Ring was loud. And, and, you know, he was really loud. So we pull Ring off the tree. Bear comes down, takes off. Pull out the tracker. The dogs are still showing treed. Well, they're two ridges over from us. When we walk over there, and they're treed. So they both had bear. That was the very first time I had ever cut the dog loose. So, I mean, I think I hit the jackpot with this dog. Mm. <laughs> but, you know, we was running off baits, and, you know, you can't up there legally, so it is what it is. And the next two years with that dog, I thought I was going to pull my hair out. Um, trashy, run a coyote until he couldn't run them no more. He would catch them and play with them and let them go and then re-catch them. And I spent nights after night after night chasing him. I'd taken him to Canada, and me and Rodney had went to Canada the next year, and he had slick treed in those swamps to the point. Well, we got we got done for that week, and we was packing up to go home. Rodney said, what are you going to do with him? I said, I don't know. Rodney said, I know what I'd do with him. And I'm like, yeah, I, yeah, I know. And on the way home, I had stopped at my buddy's house and, and down in the lower part of New York, and we had hunted again, and we treated a bear one morning, and the next morning, we went out, and he slept treed. And Anthony's like, Heath, what are you going to do with him? I said, I don't know. He's like, you know you're not going to break him slick tree. And I said, I know. <laughs> I said, I know. So I went home, very discouraged, actually thinking about selling the dog, and that was in September. And we basically hunted that year, and this was in 2007. Well, that year in December, we had snow on pretty much the first three weeks of hunting season. So I was able to put him in track after track after track. And putting him in in the tracks, the dog never looked back. When I got him lined out and got him on what I wanted him to, to run him on, the dog just got better and better and better and better. And I, I have ca- I caught so many bears that dog that I can't. I, I mean, it it didn't matter if he was by himself. It didn't matter if he had other dogs with him. It didn't matter. And Rain could trail. He actually probably give too much mouth on bad tracks because I had had I had numerous people pack dogs to him, and they would they would just fall out because they couldn't take it. 
Mm-hmm. And several times I'd turned him loose and I'd have the guys tell me that that was hunting with me, like, eh, he's running something else because they'd run deer out on him or whatever. And, you know, he'd come around the other end of the, the holler with a bear and have it. And we, um, we treat 18 bear that, that, that December. And wow. ring was a big ring was, and back then, like I said, the population's growing, but it's not what it is today. And, um, the dog never looked back. The he made a rig dog, like a phenomenal rig. And I didn't know what rigging. We didn't rig. We walked, and mm-hmm. the dog made a phenomenal rig dog. Um, and, and he done it on accident. I was we, me and one of my buddies had been hunting one day. It was about eleven o'clock, and it it got warm, so we decided we were going to come come home. And I had, I got a rig, I got the same box that I've had forever. So the same one. And I had him and Belle up on top of the rig. And Belle, I'd never tied up. Like, I just let her come up there and she'd just ride. Because I'd never rigged a track before either. And I come around this curve and then dogs come unglued. Belle, she sailed off the side of that truck. And (laughs) I didn't let Ring go because I didn't know what was going on. Well, Belle ended up running that bear, and she ran it back across the tower line where we seen it. So I put Ring and Smokey in, and they went down there and treated it in short order. And from that day on, the dog rigged tracks and rigged track. I mean, he was, you know, he was a really, I didn't think I'd ever replace Frosty. Frosty was kind of my first and, you know, my learning experience. And, right. you know, Ring, Ring come in and exceeded those expectations every way you could exceed them in fact i i today ring ring lived till he was 15. he died in 2017 i think 2017 and uh yeah you said he died on december 4th on yep. the first yep. day of your bear season i believe you told he me he did yeah yep, sure did um and you know i i still am trying to replicate that i know i can't replicate him but that's the dog that i'm seeking and I've had some good good dogs. I've had dogs that catch bear. You know, my blue female Belle, I mean, phenomenal. She's probably the straightest dog that I've owned. Trail dog, gritty, you know, nice tree dog. You know, she definitely didn't have the speed and stuff that Ring had. She didn't open on the box like Ring did. Ring's a dog that I'm trying to reproduce. That's the dog that I, that I want my pack. I, I want four of those dogs in my pack. Well, as you're talking there, and I'm thinking about the bloodline there with of Ring and predominantly Tree and Walker, uh, and I know with the crossbred program with UKC that it's now possible to you know uh, get some registration records on these dogs and, and get the uh, the future started here, so to speak, because you're a young man. How old are you, Heath? Forty eight. Forty eight, man. That's just a kid. <laughs> but you you've got you've got a I know how those mountain bear hunters they stay tough for a long time and I know you've got a lot of years ahead of you but uh I don't know exactly I'm not up to date on it because I we did not have a crossbred program when I was at UKC uh we could single register dogs in through the breed associations with an inspection process, and it was very limited. It was open only for a short time during the year, and the dog had to be individually inspected. 
by a designated inspector and all that. Now, with the crossbred program, I'm thinking that you can, uh, you know, register uh, these dogs and um, and go forward, you know, with them registered as crossbred. And then if I understand it correctly, after a certain point of breeding within that given breed, they can become purebreds. Are you familiar with that program at all? Yeah, I um, I actually have single registered every dog that I have here. I, the only dog that I have registered on the place is Kaida, which is our Lone Pine and Trackman dog. Um, everything else I have, let me thank you. Yeah, everything else that I have is is single is is mixed crossed up. Even though they look like a Walker dog or a or a whatever, well, most of my dogs look like Walker, except I got a high tan looking dog and everything else is walker looking but Mm -hmm. everything is everything is cross dog so i i have single registered my dogs i have not went i have not got to the stage where the second generation actually becomes a registered dog Mm -hmm. um that's what i was told but the so spook is my my male dog which you know and i registered single registered him i have bred spook twice I just bred him to a registered Walker female, and I'm going to single register that litter. And the pups that's out of him already that I've got, I have single registered or or X bred. Well, I um, want to jump in here, you know, as a word of encouragement to guys out there, and especially if you're out west and you've been hunting a line of dogs for several years, and and you know, and you, uh, you know, maybe subscribe to the old. Uh, adage that you know papers don't treat game but having the dogs registered has a lot of benefits one of them being that you have an accurate verifiable record uh, of the ancestry of the dog and it's a good breeder's tool to be able to look back and see what the dog is out of and and so forth and and to try to you know um, establish maybe a line breeding program or family breeding program and then there are other benefits too you know if you should decide you want to compete in any kind of competition uh, water races field trials bench shows all that stuff you know that's a ticket to do that as well and it increases the value of your dogs you know um, as we well know, these <laughs> semen puppies out of well-known stud dogs don't come cheap. But, uh, yeah, and I applaud you for that, Heath, uh, in, you know, getting your your dogs registered. My dad hunted with a group of fellows in West Virginia for several years in the latter part of his bear hunting days. And he always tried to encourage those guys to keep records on their dogs and and all, and they didn't get it. You know, it wasn't important to them. And instead of having a program that they could rely on and draw from, they were always looking for the next dog. Uh, like, uh, uh, with all due respect, they were great hunters and great people. But it they were always looking for the next dog like a needle in the haystack, you know. So anyway, I applaud yeah. you for doing that. I think that's definitely the right step to take. Uh, so tell me about the Hyatt, the Creekside Pack of today. What you got over there? Oh Lord! Well, so I, I got Spook and Kate and Trip. Those are all three 
uh, Kemp dogs from Mike Kemp. Uh, it's so funny because they're they're all out of his Black Jack Junior dog, the dad. But all all of them have such different personalities and different qualities. And the last dog that I got from him, Trip, which is the youngest, he's he'll he'll be a year he'll be two in fall. He's a year and a half now, and um, so he is the tree dog out of the bunch. Um, like tree dog, way more tree dog than Spook and Kate. But Spook and Spook and, and Trip could be register walker dogs, and you'd never know. I mean, they're just they're really good looking hounds. Blanket back. Trip's got a little bit more dark, rich head than than Trip. Trip's a little bit lighter, the kind of a yellowish brown. Now wait a minute, you said Trip's got more than Trip. You mean more than oh, Spook? Trip, Spook, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. And then so I got those three. Uh, let's see. I still got um, Little Man, which is a direct son out of Ring, mm-hmm. and Little Man will be eight this year. And then I got Pearl. Mm-hmm. Pearl goes back to so we skipped a part here with Pooh. We bred, I bred Pooh to Kitty, which was Frosty's mother, mm-hmm. and I only had one pup, and we named him Cannon. And we you named him what? Cannon. Cannon. Okay. Cannon. Yep. So Kitty, we, after I got her, I basically just started coon hunting her. And she was a really nice coon dog. And Trip, or, um, Cannon come along. I bred Pooh to Kitty and only had one pup. And at the time, that's when I had got my Cameron dogs. So I was kind of hunting my blue dogs instead of, you know, the walker. So I decided that I was going to take Cannon and just coon hunting. So we were, I was coon hunting Cannon and Kitty. and that was the time that I started the academy too, so that kind of puts that in place. That's a couple of the dogs that we were talking about, and I coon hunted Cannon up till he was four years old, and one day I just decided I'm gonna take him bear hunt and see what he does. And Cannon was a big dog, just like Kitty. I mean, big, tall, lanky, rangy dog, and he made a phenomenal. Now he didn't trail like Ring, but the dog was super fast stayed in races and it didn't get too rough for him. And that was Cannon. So anyway, Cannon is is the great granddad of my Pearl female and Pearl's out of Buster and Buster is out of Cannon. So I got Pearl and then I have the two pups out of Spook, which are a year old now, um Houdini and Hart. And then I have Kaida, which is our project dog. And then I have another dog we call it Maddie named him Casper. Which so Casper is nine months old now. And Casper is out of a uh Schooner River bred female, registered female, and actually goes back to a topper female. Nancy's topper. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a, a topper female and they bred that female to the rock dog of Van Johnson's, which was a mixed-up dog. But Casper looks like a, a registered walker female, but he's almost solid white, except he's got a patch on his rear end and his head is brown. And you know me, I'm not a big fan of the white dogs because the bear picks them out and chases them down, <laughs> like Jimmy, Truth. my own female. Truth. Yeah. You know, I, I'll jump in there. A guy that you and I both know, Bill Wickham. 
uh, lives oh, yeah. in Canada now. I believe I saw Bill up at the New York Councilman uh, for Conservation meeting about three years ago when I went up there to speak. And Bill came walking in the door. I hadn't seen him in several years, but he was from right there where you you live now. Mm-hmm. A- and Bill was over in West Virginia during training season one year. And, of course, my dad was still active hunting then. And we treat a bear down in a place there off a of cold knob in West Virginia that was we commonly called it Pete Shooting Range. I don't know exactly why they called it that unless a guy named Pete must have done a lot of shooting and, <laughs> and maybe not, not connecting. But at any rate, we had run this bear time two or three times. And we were laid back in a beautiful September day. We're laid back on the side of the hill, on you know, back looking up the tree at the bear. And the blue sky is beautiful. I always remember that day. And uh, somebody said, well, let's run it out again. It'll run to the top of the mountain. We won't have to lead these dogs out of here. and catch them up there. My dad said, boys, leave that bear alone. She's had enough. He said, I've watched her. She's mad. You need to leave that bear alone. Let's get these dogs and get out of here. Oh, no, 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 no. Let's run it again. Let that bear down one more time and just exactly like you said, picked out that white walker jip in the pack and killed her instantly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's uh, things that you learn. Sometimes you learn lessons hard, the hard way. You know, yeah. it wasn't our dog. I don't even remember whose walker female it was, but I always remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Heath, uh, man alive, we got a lot of memories that we could share of our hunts together mm-hmm. and times that you came up to Michigan and hunted with me when I lived up there. Everybody liked me a whole lot more when I lived in Michigan. Seems like. <laughs> My friends man, came. Man, you did have some good hunting, that's for sure. <laughs> My friends came I mean, I, came up pretty regular to see me back in those days. Of course, I'm doing the same way. They, you know what they say about paybacks, but now when I want to go bear hunting, I know where to come. I just go down the hall and go to my room when I'm at your place. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I appreciate that so much. And we were talking. I was talking with Sid Underwood on a podcast that aired just. Uh, last week and talking about how important it is to a guy my age to have younger hunters to go hunting with because we reach that stage in life and we're all going to do it and i i hate to tell you heath but that's gonna gonna be your fate one of these days too if the lord lets you live is that you know these mountains will be too steep uh yep. those walks will be too far but to just be able to go and be and fellowship and man i've heard some good races oh boy last year when we were down there uh by that gate and i walked back up on the ridge up there Mm -hmm. and heard those dogs down there tree and and i actually shot some video of it oh man for a guy 75 years old it doesn't get any better than that man i had a i had a ringside seat man but yeah, I appreciate we, all that. I just want you to know publicly that I mm. I appreciate the opportunity to hunt with you. Well, yeah, I mean we we love it, and I mean, like I said, I I hope that you're. I hope when I become the age where I can't go, I don't know how I'll feel about it. You know, I hear people say, "Well, when I can't go get my dogs, I'm going to quit." I don't know if I've got that in me. <laughs> 
Right. But I do know that, you know, I mean, I love, I love being out in the woods with the hounds and I don't care whether it's coon hunting or bear hunting or whatever it is. I, I just, I love being with the dogs and I, I love seeing the young dogs come up and learn and become a, uh, you know, a, a well-rounded, mature hound that, that actually produces the game that you're after. Well, we're going to pick your brain a lot more on this podcast as we go along, uh, if you agree to to do that. And I know your training podcasts have been so well received, and I know you've got a lot to share, a lot to say, a lot we can learn. I will tell you about this aging thing. Thank God it just it comes along slowly. It doesn't just happen to you overnight, so. You kind of get to work into it, you know, but but uh, we definitely uh, want to have you back on the podcast, and uh, it's been great. I wanted in this podcast particularly just to talk about hunting and about dogs and all that because I know you get so many uh, questions, and, and uh, you know, you're very valuable to our hound community as a trainer. If listeners will listen to what this guy's got to say uh they'll have a whole lot better experience you know and and uh that's why i'm expecting you to make a world champion out of that walker female of ours you know? <laughs> <laughs> well we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna try and see what we can do with her that's for sure yeah, she's a pretty smart pup isn't she you know steve i'm i'm impressed that's it's not what i was expecting um i don't know really what i was expecting but, you know, I told you last week or so, you know, I'm and you know, everybody don't put obedience on their dogs and that's fine. You know, some, you can even argue with some of my canine guys that obedience kills their drive, which is a bunch of baloney, but everybody's entitled to their opinion. And if that's what you believe, you should believe that. But I am putting, you know, obedience on her and I don't want her running over me when I open the dog box. I don't want her jumping on me when I go in the pen to feed. Um, but in two days, in two days, I taught her to sit and stay and hold. And, of course, the, the word I use is wait. When I say wait, she sits, she waits. I put her food down. When she makes eye contact with me, which is, okay, Dad, I understand what you're asking me. I release her with a yes, and she goes and eats her food. I mean, she is super intelligent. Yeah. Like, and she, she learns so fast, and she gets it. Like, she gets it. And you you can see that she understands when you're te- when you're working with her. Which yeah. I mean, I'm I'm tickled to death with this part this part of our training and her behavior. I'm tickled. Now, what what it leads to in the woods as far as her desire to catch game, we'll we'll get there. We'll see. Yeah, absolutely. Well, she couldn't have a better trainer, and uh, I believe she will. But we're always hopeful, just like every houndsman is when they get a new project. It's we like to say uh, this one happens to be a semen puppy from uh, Trackman. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was bred by Randy Smith up there out of his. Uh, uh, Lone Pine Biffy yeah, Sue yeah. female that actually Biffy Sue was uh, uh, bred to to uh, bone collector semen and produced Jillian, which is her mother. And uh, so we got an opportunity uh, to get in there. There was a 
there was a pretty quick list there of, of guys that wanted those pups and really want to thank Randy for giving us the opportunity. As I jokingly said on the uh, podcast the other day, I, we had to get a couple co-signers and go take out a second mortgage <laughs> on the on the place. But uh, no, but anyway, I'm I'm going to be reporting along uh, on her progress as I hear it from you, Heath, and all. But man, it's been great. Uh, if you can believe it, we've been at this just almost an hour and a half, and. Uh, so it's probably time to let you uh, go feed the hounds or whatever you need to do. And uh, me, I know Miss Ella is probably going to have dinner ready here pretty soon. And I yep. try not to miss too many meals. <laughs> yeah. Anything we should have talked about that we didn't today, Heath? No. I mean, I, you know, I appreciate you having me on. And, and it is good just to talk about hunting. I mean, I sometimes I forget about some of the things that I've done and, places that I've been and I you know I have met so many good people most of my most of my friends and the people that I'm closest to are through the hunting community and mm-hmm. I you know I have been blessed over the, the past wh- whether it's coon hunting or you know bear hunting or whatever at one point in time I could probably call anybody in in somebody in every state and be welcome into their house and go hunt with them and you know mm-hmm. It's a life experience and stuff that most people don't know about. And, you know, coon hunting, hounds, hounds have, have given me that opportunity and give me some of the the memories that I will never forget. And sometimes it's nice just to talk about that because I do forget it talking about the other aspect of what I do. Well, I thought that, that you might enjoy that, Heath, and I certainly have enjoyed it myself and always when we're together. We do talk dogs and all, but it's usually we're bumping up. Uh, my head's banging on the on the headliner in that uh, truck of yours as we're trying to stay in a bear race somewhere, <laughs> or yeah. sliding down off the of north <laughs> somewhere in the ice in December, like we did a couple years ago. But uh, Heath, it's great to have you on, buddy, and uh, I will be seeing you here in a few days. I'm heading up that way and. And we're going to try to go out there and maybe rip some lips on some of those uh, trout there trout. in those streams yeah, in, I'm in Virginia. Looking forward to it. I absolutely, yeah. I am too. Well, thanks for coming on, Heath, and uh, we'll definitely have you back as sooner the better. And to all of my friends out there across podcast land, if anyone asks you where I am, where's Steve Fielder these days? You tell him he's gone to the dogs. 